And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Good morning. It is good to have you guys. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to that passage in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, if you're joining us for the first time, you're joining us at the perfect time. We are picking up our study through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this incredible sermon that Jesus preached at the start of his ministry to introduce what life is like in the kingdom of God and then to invite us to live that life with him in his kingdom. And if you've been with us this summer, we've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We've called it creatively the Summer on the Mount here at Eastside, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, hearing what God has to say to his people about what life is like in the kingdom of God. And uh, it's been challenging. It's been encouraging. It's been convicting. Jesus starts this sermon. He talks about how we, as his followers, can live our best life, that we can literally live a blessed life when we live life with him. We call that the Beatitudes. Then Jesus goes on and he taught us that our life can have value and influence. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world as we reflect the glory of God and the grace of God to the world around us, that our life can have value and influence in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus goes on this series of teachings where he talks about how we handle everyday emotions, things like anger and lust, how we can be people of our word and how we can honor one another in our marriage. It's kind of a series of hard teachings about how we can recalibrate our life for the kingdom of God. And then the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been teaching us how we can pursue him through things like prayer and even through our giving. And I've been so encouraged to hear how you guys, or I've been really encouraged, I guess, to watch how you've held on because it's been a fast and furious summer. You know, we started the summer on the mountain, it's been one chapter after another, one story, one teaching, one section. But as a church, you've continued to lean in and walk closer and closer with Jesus. And I am always so encouraged to hear, like, how we take this home and apply it. That we take the things that Jesus says seriously. And several of you have said that you have extended grace and forgiveness. You let go of anger and your desire for retaliation because of what Jesus taught us. Others of you have said you started giving for the very first time, investing generously in the kingdom of God because of what Jesus said in the sermon. For me, it's been the salt and light passage. Every week as I turn the page, it leaves me with something to work on by the power of the Holy Spirit, but that Jesus says we can be salt and light, that our purpose here is to influence and affect the world around us, to be disciples who make disciples. I'm encouraged because I can't think the Holy Spirit is stirring something, but today is the day we find out who is all in. I know you thought it was when we talked about money. No. I know you thought it was when we talked about lust and divorce and adultery and all that uncomfortable stuff. No. Today, we talk about our favorite topic in all of scripture, and that is fasting. Not feasting, fasting. We're going to talk about fasting, or rather, Jesus is going to talk about fasting, and we are going to be left to figure out whether or not we take seriously what Jesus has to say about fasting. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, I haven't caught up from last week's assignment, right? Like, I'm still practicing prayer. I'm still kind of getting the hang of giving. Are we really going to talk about fasting? 
But in this sermon, Jesus doesn't miss a beat. He just keeps going. And as Kevin read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, today's text, Jesus says, and when you fast. You know, don't you just love how Jesus just assumes the best of us? Sometimes I get really encouraged when Jesus says things like that. Sometimes it drives me nuts because the truth is I'm pretty inconsistent in my fasting. Anyone else inconsistent? Some of you think I've never even started. Some of you think I don't even know what this means. But Jesus speaking to his followers in the, 20, in the first century and by extension in the 21st century to those who want to take their faith seriously, he just says, and when you fast, meaning Jesus assumes that his closest friends and followers will follow his example and be a people who fast. Because Jesus, at this point in his ministry, you think about it, he's already spent at least 40 days fasting, spending time with the Father alone in the wilderness to determine the direction that God was leading him, to be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we hear that, and we think 40 days, I don't know about you, but I can't go 40 minutes without thinking about food. Anyone else in that camp? Anyone else wake up this morning, and before you thought about what God was going to say to you through his word, you thought, I wonder where we're going to lunch after church. I'm going to be honest, I started thinking about where we're going to lunch after church today after lunch last Sunday. It's just, it's always on my mind. Food is always on my mind, and I think that's the point. Because what is fasting? Now, I'm not talking about like the trendy definition because, you know, I can't keep up with like intermittent fasting and whatever today's social media diet trend is. What is the tried and true definition of fasting? What does the Bible say about fasting? I think Pastor Jensen Franklin in his book, Fasting, says it best. He says, stated simply, biblical fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. Stated simply, which I'm grateful for whenever someone can say something simply, biblical fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. In other words, fasting involves letting go of something in the physical realm to take hold of something in the spiritual realm. In the two realms, the physical realm and the spiritual realm are inextricably connected. If we aren't careful, I think we will be quick to fill up on things here and miss what God wants to say there. And here's what I mean. We think about our life like kind of two different lives. We think there's like a physical side of our life, what we will wear, what we'll eat, the, the temperature of the room, or anyway, the, the spiritual life that we come to be nourished spiritually in our time with the church. So what I'm suggesting, and what I think you already know, is that the two realms are inextricably connected. They, they cannot be separated. Here's what I mean. Have you ever noticed if you're heading home from work and you just have not had the best day, does that ever happen on your way home from work? It's just not the best day. I don't know if like work just didn't go well or if the relationship you're heading home to is just ridiculously difficult or, you know, if fi the financial situation is just frustrating, whatever it is, if you're heading home from work and it's just not been the best day. If you swing through the drive-thru and pick up a milkshake, you'll feel better for a minute won't you? Like the worries of life, the fact that maybe you can't afford that milkshake because you're still paying on last week's milkshake on the credit card, like that just kind of escapes your mind while you sip that drink. But in a few minutes, you know you're not going to feel so good. For me, it's never a milkshake, but I will often try to heal with a hamburger, right? Anything with me. Like if you eat food, you feel better for a few minutes. But here's the truth we're going to see, is that we don't actually satisfy that stirring in our soul. But often we will use the physical to suppress the spiritual thing that God wants to do. When there's the stirring in your soul, it's unsatisfied and unresolved. 
Jesus knows that of you, and he knows that of me. And so as he gathers the crowd around to teach them what life is like in the kingdom of God, and he starts introducing to them these things that we're so excited about, that yes, Jesus, we want to live a blessed life. We want our life to have value and influence. Yes, Jesus, we want to be able to be in control of our everyday emotions, and we're glad that we're not the only ones dealing with things like anger and lust and, and, and difficulty in marriage and being people of our word. We get to this point where Jesus says, if you want all of those spiritual blessings to be a reality for you, then the practice, one of the practices that leads to that is fasting. And so Jesus says, when you fast. And then he goes on, he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, those who are playing the part. Remember, the hypocrites we've seen are those who are pretending that they love God, but they're living for the applause of their peers. Jesus says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. And so what Jesus was saying in their context, when the religious leaders would fast, which was a regular rhythm in their life, uh, the Old Testament prescribed one day of fasting around the Day of Atonement. It encouraged fasting, but it really prescribed one day of fasting per year. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, would fast every week or at least once a week. And when they would do so, it was not uncommon for them to reach into last night's fire, take out some of the cool ash and rub it on their face so they look extra pale. So when they walked about their day, they would just look so pale. People say, you know, well done, you must be fasting. Which when I read that, I thought, is that really necessary? I mean, maybe times have changed, but today, if I miss a meal, I don't have to put anything on my face. People know I missed a meal. Like I come home hungry and hangry. Like I don't miss many meals, but if like a day gets, gets away from me and I come home and I miss lunch, my wife, Carissa, will be so concerned. She's like, is everything okay? Like, yeah, I think I'm fine. I'm just really hungry because as soon as I don't eat, man, you can see it. Jesus is speaking to their motive. The hypocrites went above and beyond that. They wanted everybody to know that today was the day they were spending time with God in prayer and fasting. But what they were really doing is living for the applause of their peers. And more than they wanted an audience with God, they wanted the applause of their friends. We've said it over the course of the last week with our giving, with our praying, with our fasting. If we live for likes here, we won't like what we get from God. Jesus says, when you fast, don't look gloomy. Don't go above and beyond to make sure everybody notices. But when you fast, anoint your head with oil. But when you fast, anoint your head with oil and wash your face. Do you know what this is? This is Jesus saying that it's okay to wear a little makeup, right? He's saying, in fact, like, I'll illustrate like this. My wife, who knows the Bible well, sometimes too well, because she'll wield it as a weapon at times. Whenever we go to buy makeup, whenever I take her, we're out running errands and she wants to buy makeup, she'll say, Adam, if you want me to be holy and hear from God, I've got to go in there and buy some makeup. You know, I've got to get some stuff for my face, some face wash, some stuff to cover up. And I've never really thought too much about it. In all the years that we've been married, it's like, whatever you want to get, I always appreciate how good she looks. And so go ahead and do it. But a few months ago, we were going out, we were running errands, and I didn't realize this was the week we were going to resupply some of the cosmetic stuff. And so we were out shopping and she said, do you mind if we just run in the makeup store and buy some makeup. I said, well, I mind running in, but you're welcome to do whatever you want. So she's okay. So I pull up the front, I drop her off. And she said, which is, she said, oh, I didn't bring any money. Can I have 
your card. And so sure, like I just hand her my card and I, I go and park and I'm, I said, you know, she said, I'm just going to buy some face wash. So I'm out there in the car waiting patiently while she's shopping and I get dinged on my phone that my card has been used and I look at it. I cannot believe how much money she just spent. I thought, like, we could go for dinner in a date with this kind of money. She comes out, she's carrying this little bag, and I said, what did you buy? I thought you were just going to buy face wash. And she said, I did, just buy face wash and a little makeup to cover it up. And I was like, and she said, you know, when you fast, anoint your head with oil, wash your face. I said, we're going to be fasting because we can't afford food after that cosmetic purchase. Jesus says, when you fast, go about your business. Look like you normally look. Get ready for the day just like you would get ready for any other day. Because when you fast, it's all about deepening and developing intimacy with your heavenly Father. That we don't have to be noticed by everyone. In fact, when we're not noticed by everyone, we gather a reward from God, and that reward is an audience with God. That when we pray, our Father who is in heaven, who sees what is done in secret, will reward us. All right. And so we're moving kind of quickly. It's only three verses. But Jesus says, when we fast, he kind of gives us the what and the how. When you fast, when we refrain from food for spiritual reasons, that's the what behind fasting. The next thing is it kind of tells us how to fast. That go ahead and get ready for the day. When you're fasting, go about your day like every other day so that people won't notice. And so the answer is the what And the answer is the how. But as I was praying through it this week, I was thinking, like, I don't think the what and the how is what's standing in the way of us being a people dedicated to spending time with God in prayer and fasting. Like, if we were to say, like, what is fasting? We probably could come up with a definition. Well, how do you fast? We could probably come up with a definition. We go about our normal business. We we miss a meal or we, we skip a day of eating to spend time with God. We use that time to spend time with God. When when we feel the hunger pains, we spend time praying. But I think the question we have to ask today is why? Like if we're going to take what Jesus says seriously, if we're going to apply it to our life, we have to understand why. A few years ago, a guy named Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why. And it just kind of changed the entire way I think about things. He says that when you think about things, most people know what we do. So like if we were talking about a church, like most people know what we do. You know, we gather on Sundays, we gather in community groups, we share the, the gospel with our community, we do outreach. This is the kind of the what we do. Some people know how we do it, but very few people know why. But why is what inspires us to change. And when we read the Sermon on the Mount, and when we read the Scripture, when we spend time with God, man, we want to know the why behind it so we can take it home and apply it. And so I'm going to do something special for you today that I never do. I'm going to give you an anagram so we can understand the why behind fasting, okay? I don't, I don't do this very often. I can't, don't get used to it. I can't do it every week, or I would spend all my time trying to be clever. But it just worked this week. And we have several people in our church, I don't know if you guys know this, that are recovering Baptists. Like, they grew up in the Baptist church, KJV only, jean skirt wearing, and you know the kind of people. And the Baptists love themselves an anagram. And so to serve our former Baptist friends well, here is three Bs to better, be a better believer, right? No, here's an anagram. Why do we fast? We fast first and foremost to know the will of God. The will of God. Paul says, I'm sorry, if you look in, in Acts chapter 13, uh, the church is well underway at this point. Jesus has been crucified on a cross. He's been buried in the tomb. He's been raised from the dead. The church has been launched. And Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas are 
spending time with the church in Antioch. In fact, they're spending a significant amount of time there. They spent over a year worshiping with the Lord. And see what it says in Acts chapter 13. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and what? Fasting. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, he's talking about the church. While the church was worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so the church is gathered together and is part of their regular rhythms, their pursuit of God. They are gathered for worship to make much of God and they've humbled themselves by fasting. They're spending time foregoing food to hear from God. They're worshiping the Lord and they're fasting. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit says, set apart Barnabas and Saul for this purpose, for this work. And then Barnabas and Saul, they leave there. uh, They lay their hands on them. They pray and they fast. They send them off. And Paul and Barnabas start planting churches. In fact, you turn the page in Acts chapter 14. We see that as they travel, they continue fasting. So when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so a regular part of Paul and Barnabas' life, the early church's life, was to spend time hearing from God with fasting. When they were fasting, the Holy Spirit speaks. So why do we fast? We fast to know the will of God. We fast to know the will of God. Here's the thing. We have so many decisions to make on a daily basis, don't we? Like we wake up in the morning and we're inundated with decisions. What is our day going to look like? What is the direction we're going to go? And then you zoom out. We have decisions. We're always making the bigger decisions of life. Like where are we going to live? And what are we going to do for work? And as school gets ready to start back for the college students, they're like, what is my degree plan going to look like? What am I going to do with that degree after I graduate? Who am I going to date? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to settle down? Where do I buy a house? What kind of house do we buy? Or what kind of house do we build? And there are so many decisions that we're faced with on a daily basis that will determine the direction of our life. And it amazes me how so often we will make those decisions that determine the direction of our life based on how we feel in the moment. Several years ago, I just had this core conviction uh, that I don't just want my wisdom. I want wisdom to discern the will of God. Like, I want wisdom to discern the will of God for several reasons. Because I truly believe that God's will for my life is better than my will for my life. That what God can do in my life and through my life is going to be more significant and better for me than whatever I can do in my life. At the same time, I want God to take the blame for my life if it doesn't go well. Like, because if I look like a fool, if I just make a mess of my, my ministry, if I make a mess of my family, if I make a mess of my marriage, mess of my finances, I want to be able to point to God and say, you led me here. I don't want to, I just want to blame God. And God has always carried me through and been faithful. But like this conviction happened in my life a long time ago. And so I decided as a pivotal point in my life, about ready to graduate college, Bible college, and I thought I need to determine the direction my life is going to go from here. And even more than that, I need to determine if I'm going to ask my girlfriend to be my wife. So which direction is my life going to go and who's going to be my wife? And I was dating Carissa. We've been dating for a few years. I had no objections, but I was 22 years old and I was about to make a promise that would last more years than that. And I was scared to death. I've never promised anything, anything that would last more than like 22 minutes. And so I thought I need to seek God's wisdom. And growing up, I didn't know anybody that fasted. 
I'm not saying they didn't fast. I just didn't know they fast. Maybe they took this text very seriously, some good makeup as they went about their time with God. But I thought in the Bible, to discern the will of God, people fast. And so college senior, I thought I'm going to fast for the very first time. No planning, no preparation, very little scripture reading. I just kind of dove right in. Fasting means going without food. So I decided from one day to the next, I would fast. And in Bible college, we had a curfew at midnight. So I thought from midnight to midnight, 24 hours, I'm going to fast. And I'm going to ask God, show me the direction you want my life to go. And show me if I should marry Carissa, if I'm a good enough husband to marry Carissa. And so I started fasting. I went to bed early that night because I was getting hungry. You know, I could feel the hunger coming. I woke up. I never ate breakfast. But that morning, man, I was starving. You ever notice that? Like, you can miss breakfast, you can miss lunch as you get busy, but the day you decide to fast, you're hungry before you get out of bed. I mean, I don't know what it is, I'm just extra hungry today. I was so hungry. I, went, I like, suffered through class, probably skipped my last class, probably laid in bed for a while, because, like, I'd never gone more than 45 minutes without food. And here I was trying to go 24 hours. And the end of the day was approaching, and I thought, I need to be ready not to hear from God, but to break that fast the moment the, the clock strikes midnight. So I left campus and I went to McDonald's, which is a mile down the road, and I got the biggest meal I could get, a double quarter pounder meal with cheese, large fry, large Coke. I rolled it up as like 11.15. I had 45 minutes left. I drove it home. That was torture. I set it there on the counter, and by 11.30, I gave in. I couldn't even make it to midnight. You ever been there? Like, you ever try to fast, and you're like, I got so close. And yet God graciously still shows up. Here's my point. God doesn't need us to fast from, to hear from him, but we need to set aside some time to pray and fast to hear from him. He is gracious and he is good and he will guide us through life, but he wants us to set aside time to hear from him. We don't have to get it perfect, but we have to make it a priority. Now, since I obviously went on to marry Carissa, I started a career in ministry. God has just been incredibly gracious. And over the course of years, we have gotten a little more, um, we've, we've created a rhythm of prayer and fasting. And so it's gotten a little more proficient. I've gotten a little bit stronger will. I don't always make it, but I try to make it. And, uh, and so when big decisions would come in life, we would develop a rhythm of prayer and fasting. We were serving in ministry and we were praying, God, when should we start a family? And we didn't want to just start a family whenever we chose to start a family. And so we prayed and we fasted, God, should we start a family? And in doing so, God showed us bigger desires for a spiritual family. So we prayed, God, should we start a church? And we prayed and we fasted, God, should we start a church? And then we moved and we prayed, God, where would you want us to start this church? And we fasted to hear from God. And, and as we moved, we thought we need to buy a house. And so we prayed and we fasted. I fasted. We were buying a house out of fear. Are we ever going to be able to pay for this thing? Carissa fasted. Where can we be most effective for ministry? Different reasons saying, God, we want to hear from you. And God has always been faithful to reveal his will. Often it's just one next step, but it comes from when we show up with him. So why do we fast? The first step is we, we fast to hear the will of God. The second reason we fast is to receive help from God. God says through Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 58, is not this the fast that I choose? God is speaking to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer you. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Through Isaiah, 
God says, you fast to receive help from God, that God's presence and his power is poured out when we lean in and pray and fast. Second Chronicles chapter 20, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah are under attack. And some men came and told King Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed, what a fast throughout all Judea. And Judea assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. We pray to hear the will of God and fast, or we pray and fast to hear the will of God, and we pray and fast to receive help from God. Have you ever felt like you need help from God? You ever feel like you need God to show up and do what only God can do? It's a helpless feeling when we realize that we need help from God. I don't know about you, but I hate asking for help. Anyone else hate asking for help? Anyone else afraid to raise their hand? Uh, Only people in the back raise their hand because they know no one can see them. I see you, and I see you guys don't raise your hand. But anyway... I hate asking for help, and it's not because I'm too proud. I'm well past that. I am not too proud to ask for help. I don't like asking for help because I don't ever think help is actually going to come. For example, this week, our dishwasher broke mid-cycle, full dishwasher after dinner. It just quit on us. This is the dishwasher that came with the house that we prayed and fasted for, and it's fallen apart. The washer machine broke, the dishwasher broke, but this week was the dishwasher. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Carissa says, what do you want me to do? I was like, I want to go to sleep. I'll figure it out in the morning. So I get up, I figure, I look at the dishwasher, no power. So that must be the breaker. So I go, I flip the breaker off, flip the breaker on, nothing. Okay, I've got to go to the Google. So I look on the Google. There's a few different things. Check the power. It's like, yes, I checked. It doesn't work. A few other things. If you can't do this, call for assistance. I thought, okay, this is not going to go well, but... I don't want to hand wash all those dishes. So I'm going to call for assistance. So I call, I wait on the line. Someone picks up that barely speaks English. They tell me a name that is not their name. I know they don't name you that. Anyway, I spend 45 minutes on the phone with them. The Samsung dishwasher, sir, have you checked the power? Yes, what do you think? I, where do you think I started? Now, have you checked this? Did you push the power button? I'm like, oh, no, totally forgot about that. We go through the whole thing and they're like, uh, we're not sure what the problem is. Well, neither do I. That's why I called you. Is this something I can fix, or do I need you to send someone that can do for me what I cannot do for myself? And I get in this same cycle where I hate asking for help because I just don't trust that it's actually going to come. Here's the thing. We aren't just looking for help from God. We are looking to God who is our help. I know that sounds like we're splitting hairs, but hear what the psalmist says in Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength. God is a very present help in trouble. When we pray and we fast, we are not just looking for a handout from God. We are looking for God who is our help. That when we pray and we fast, that it is his presence and it is his power that is poured out in our life. And that is is helpful. And we find ourselves in all these situations where we need God to show up or things aren't going to go well. Maybe it's like it's with health. Like there's very little that is beyond our control more than our health. Like you find yourself struggling with health, health problems. You just pray and you pray and you pray, God, I need you to show up because you're the only one who can help. Maybe it's a marriage that feels like it's been on the rocks for a long time and you can't fix your spouse and you haven't figured out how to fix you, so you need God to show up. Maybe it's work isn't going well or you've been let go from work. Or maybe it's a sin temptation that comes over and over and over again and you just feel like you're drifting from God and you say, God, I need you to show up. God is our help. Here's something else I've learned. When God is our help, sometimes the help God gives us is helping us understand that he is in control. 
I've prayed for a lot of people, a lot of friends who were dealing with health problems, and I prayed and I fasted for healing, and I fully believed that they would be healed, and their story would be a story that was shared for God's glory, and they passed away. They ever prayed for someone like that? Like, you were convinced they were going to be healed. But in the process, God helps us see that even in the most difficult days, he is in control. And I'll tell you what, that is helpful, that God is our refuge. He is our strength, a very present help in trouble. So we, we fast to discern the will of God. We fast to receive help from God. And finally, we fast to yield to God. Daniel, the same Daniel that was thrown into a lion's den for his prayer uh, posture, writes this. He says, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So what, what Daniel is saying is Daniel was living in a foreign land because the people of Israel, God's people, have been taken off to exile. And the conditions were not good. Daniel had already been thrown into the lion's den. Things were not going well. It was not a nation that honored God. And so Daniel is spending time with God in his word. He's got the scroll of Jeremiah open. And he says, I see through the word of God from Jeremiah the prophet that the nation of Israel is going to remain in Babylon for 70 years. Not seven years, not 17 years, 70 years, an entire generation of people would pass away in exile. And Daniel read that and he believed it's true, but he had to yield to God's will. So what does he do? Then I turn my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting in sackcloth and ashes. So sometimes we pray and we fast to discern the will of God. And sometimes we wonder why in the world that's God's will, right? And so we pray and we fast that we might yield to God. Because we know what God is saying. We know what he's calling us to. We can read his scripture. We can see that it's calling us to live a life of obedience to him. He's calling us to exchange that which is common for that which is holy, to lead a life that honors God. And we see it and we know what he expects of us. But deep down, we don't want it because we want to lead life our way. We want to make our decisions we want to do what we want with who we want, when we want, without any, represent, or without any respect for God. And so we pray and we fast that we might yield to God when we don't understand or his will is difficult. So God gives us his will, but he will also give us the strength to obey him when we don't understand. The final thing I want to say about yielding to the will of God is, I'm not going to bore you with all of our story, but several years ago, Chris and I were fasting about starting a church. And this desire kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, we know it came from God now, but it, it seemed like it came out of nowhere. We had no idea why God was calling us to plant the church. We were part of a good church. It was starting to grow. We were seeing people get baptized and people get discipled. And so we were really confused. But the more we leaned in and the more we fasted, the more we prayed, the more we were convinced that God was calling us to start a church. And so we, we sought his will. God, where would this church be? What would it look like? What were the, the core convictions and values? And he began to bring to light that which he was setting before us. And we got all the way where we had everything laid out. We had the plan. We had the place. We had the, the purpose for which God was calling us. And we got to this point where the, I just couldn't bring myself to quit the job I had. Like I knew what God wanted. I knew the church we were at was a great church, but wasn't a perfect church, but it was the only church I knew. It was safe. They were paying the bills. They're good people. I remember going to Carissa one night and I said, I just don't know. 
She said, what do you mean you don't know? We have prayed and we have fasted until we're blue in the face. We're going to starve to death if we fast any longer. I was like, well, trust me, there's no risk of that uh, with me. She said, we, we know what God has called us to. He's called us to Orlando to plant a church, to lead people, to exchange the common for the holy so that they can experience more of God. I said, you know what? You're exactly right. She said, you got to quit your job. I said, I'm not sure. And she said, what do you need? I said, I don't know. I'm going to pray and fast. So I did a three-day fast. That's the longest I've ever been able to fast. I'm going to tell you, it's not that much fun. But I spent three days just praying and fasting. Lord, what would you have us do? Did I hear this correctly? And God just continued to reiterate, this is who you are. This is what you have been called to accomplish. I had so many questions during this fast. Like, Lord, who's going to join us? And it was just... I couldn't be sure, and I don't think God told me, but I was sure that he was calling me to surrender to him. And so we prayed, and we fasted, and we yielded to the will of God. And I remember going into the elders' meeting that day, and I was scared to death. Uh, They didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. I said, guys, I'm going to leave this ministry to move to Orlando to plant a church, and I shared the vision with them. And they said, this is catching us by surprise, but we can see what God is stirring. And Carissa went into her office the next day at work, and she quit her job. And the next day, God gave her another job that would, that would pay the bills to cover the gap until we could get here. And for the last three or four years, we've been praying, and we've been fasting, and we've been watching God work in the lives of people he's drawing to himself. And none of that we take credit for. But as God leads people to exchange the common for the holy, we can see, man, this started with prayer and fasting. That heaven will, in fact, look different because of what God said to us in that season. We continue to pray and fast for the direction that he's leading us. And here's what I want to do. I want to put this before you. Jesus says, when you fast. So we read the Sermon on the Mount. I've said, I don't want this to be another task added to the table. Like, I don't want this to be like one more thing, like pray, give, fast. My goodness gracious. I want to extend an invitation to you for greater intimacy with God. If you've never fasted, if you've never fasted, I want to invite you this week or next week, just find one meal. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Now, if you never eat breakfast, don't fast breakfast. That's not fasting. It's just find one meal and say, today is the day we are going to fast and we are going to pray. And during that meal time, we're going to step out and we're going to pray. Maybe if you fasting lunch at work, instead of going to the break room where you eat, you step and you do a prayer walk around the building. You pray for the influence that God would give you, grant you in your place of employment. Maybe you've never prayed like that. Maybe if it's dinner time and your family, it just feels like it's falling apart. You can't put your finger in and nothing exactly is going wrong, but you just feel like it's not right. You fast dinner together as a family. Now, ask your kids. Don't force it on them, but your, your spouse. And you pray, God, work in our family that what you're doing here might reflect what you are doing, or what you're doing here might reflect the world around us. And if, if you're really like, man, that doesn't sound that hard, fast for a day, sun up to sundown. Fast 24 hours, fast three days, but fast for this purpose. You want to develop and deepen a greater intimacy with God. You don't have to have it right. In fact, after Jesus preached this sermon on the Mount, just a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 9, there were still a lot of questions bouncing around about this fasting idea. The disciples of John the Baptist, they came to him, they came to Jesus, and they say, hey, why do the Pharisees fast? And he says, I see Sermon on the Mount. We talked about that. That's why they fast. But your disciples, they do not fast. John says, our disciples fast, the Pharisees fast, but Jesus, the people that follow you, they're not fasting. I thought you preached that sermon about fasting. And then Jesus goes on, he says this, he says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then 
they will fast. And Jesus is saying to the crowd, he's, saying, he's answering the questions about fasting, and he's saying this. He's saying, right now, my guys, these 12 guys and the few stragglers that are kind of hanging around the sidelines, they can hear from me because I'm teaching them. I'm walking with them. I'm talking to them. But a day is going to come when I'm going to be taken from them. In fact, I'm going to be forcibly taken from them. I'll go in peace, but they're going to take me away. They're going to try me on trumped up charges. They're going to nail me to a cross. My heavenly father is going to let me die for the sins of the world. He's going to let my body be buried in a tomb, but he's going to raise me again so that my people can have a restored relationship with God. And then I'm going to ascend to the father's right hand and I'm going to spend time there until I come back for my church. And in that season, in that season, while we wait for God to come back and take us to be with him forever, that's the season we're going to fast. Here's the thing. I don't think Jesus is saying we're going to fast because God is far from us. I think he's saying we're going to fast because we want to stop filling ourselves with the junk of this world to fill ourselves with more of God. I don't know what your expectation was when you came to church this morning. I always chuckle when you guys come and you say, what are we talking about today? You can literally look at the next verse where we left off last week, this week. But in this sermon this week, Jesus reminded me of the prayers that have been answered through seasons of fasting. I'm going to be honest, I don't look forward to fasting. It's not the most fun day. I mean, I wouldn't trade the, the result of it for the world. I'd encourage you, pray and fast that God might fill us with his presence and his power for his glory. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this ancient servant sermon that has been preserved for us through 2,000 years of human history and church history. Father, we can look back and we can see what you said to the crowd gathered there by the sermon on the mount. But in addition to that, Father, we can see 2,000 years of church history where you have changed the world. You have started movements. You have changed the eternal trajectory of people's lives because a few humble people were willing to pray and fast. Father, this summer, we just want to be a people who go all in, that hear your voice and follow you wherever you would lead, that we would be a people who pray, a people who give generously, a people of our word, whose life has value and influence. Father, we want all of the spiritual blessings that you're willing to bestow upon us. Give us strength this week. Give us a conviction this week to do our part, that we would be a people who pray and fast, that we might experience immeasurably more of you. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.